So my uh, DPL research is um, particularly focused on international mediations, international mediation efforts in civil wars in Africa. And um, rather than focusing on a single case, I really try to identify general patterns. So which kind of third-party mediation efforts are uh, most effective? Um, and I focus mainly on the distinction between regional third parties and third parties from outside of Africa. And in this regard, the UN is probably one of the most important third parties uh, operating from outside of Africa. And what's interesting to note is that the UN has become more involved in mediation and efforts in Africa after uh, the Cold War ended. Um, during the Cold War period, uh, um, on average, the UN was involved in around 5% of all mediation or conflict diet years, whereas after the Cold War, this became closer to 20%. So what actually, what explains this, 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 this trend? So I think uh, one really important um, explanation is uh, what I call the Trida Organization of African Unity First Approach. So um, in the early 60s, when most African countries gained their independence for reasons uh, related to um, anti-neo-colonialism, uh, anti uh, non-alignment, um, African leaders didn't want to be caught up in the dynamics of the superpower Cold War confrontation, they uh, developed this norm called try the OAU first approach. And um, to illustrate this, I think uh, this quote by Emperor Haile Selassie is really illustrative. Uh, he said, uh, commenting on the, the war between Algeria and Morocco, he stated, any misunderstandings which arise among brotherly members of this organization must be essentially considered a family affair in which no foreign hand can be allowed to play a role whatsoever. And actually in the United Nations Security Council resolution, this try the OAU uh, approach was, was actually um, confirmed. Um, but another reason is that the UN has become more involved after the Cold War is that, of course, um, superpower confrontation was over and I think uh, one of the best illustrative examples of this is um, this graph which shows you the UN Security Councils that were uh, vetoed um, during the Cold War and actually adopted after the Cold War. So the UN Security Council uh, could uh, more easily issue resolutions in which special representatives were appointed that could in turn mediate uh, conflicts. And then finally the UN is also more important in the post-Cold War, uh, post War period because um, major powers are less inclined to mediate. During the Cold War, the US was really, um, um, was really involved in many mediation efforts, but after the Cold War, less. And to illustrate this, um, sometimes I call, refer to this as the, the Mogadishu effect. The US the experience in, in Somalia actually made the US much, less, much more hesitant to become involved. And uh, this statement of President Bill Clinton, actually at a time when the, the genocide in Rwanda was ongoing, really illustrates this. He stated, whether we get involved in any of the world's ethnic conflicts in the end must depend on the cumulative weight of American interest at stake. So really, um, the UN actually fills this vacuum uh, that, um, of the major powers. So since the UN has become much more involved in mediation in the post-Cold War period, it's of course really important to ask ourselves, is the UN an effective mediator? And I think the, the established thinking on the UN as an effective mediator is, 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 um, is illustrated by this really influential article by Kufal, um, published in Foreign Affairs. And he really criticized the UN, as illustrated in the title, Why the UN Fails Cannot Mediate. 
And he argued that the United, United Nations possesses inherent characteristics that make it incapable of effectively mediating complex international dispute. It does not serve well as an authoritative channel of communication. It has little real political leverage. It promises and threats lack credibility, and it's incapable of pursuing coherent, flexible, and dynamic negotiations guided by an effective strategy. So the problem with this, with this article is that um, in mediation is far more likely to, to fail than it's to succeed. The modal outcome of every mediation process is failure. So if you base your claims on only anecdotal evidence like Tufaldos or particular cases, then you get biased conclusions. So to this purpose, in my, in my thesis, I develop a data set that um, collects uh, data on all mediation efforts in Africa between 1960 and 2012. And it codes mediation efforts, it codes mediation strategies, negotiations, peace agreements, also the durability of these peace agreements. So you can, ba you can compare different types of third party efforts systematically rather than ba basing it on anecdotal evidence. And if you, um, here just this, to summarize, um, this is a, a, a summary of, of, of the data set and you can see how often certain types of third parties have been involved in mediating uh, in particular diet years in Africa. And you can actually see that the United Nations has been involved in 127 diet years uh, between 1960 and 2012. So the UN, uh, UN has actually been more involved in mediation than the Organization of African Unity or the African Union, which has mediated in 101 uh, di diet years. So um, how effective is the uh, UN? Uh, I measure success um, by looking at the conclusion of a peace agreement. Um, and I control for uh, the contextual circumstances in which these mediation efforts take place. I also look at the durability of peace agreements, but I won't present these findings in, in this presentation, but I will be happy to talk about it in the Q&A. So just um, um, basically the main messages of this statistical analysis is that the involvement of UN mediation in a given conflict diet years has a statistically significant and negative effect. So actually this turns out that Tufal might be right that the UN is not a really effective mediator. However, this is uh, too simplistic. Um, for example, one might argue maybe the UN mediates the hardest cases. However, it turns out that this is not the case either. The UN met doesn't mediate uh, conflicts that are more difficult than uh, other types of third parties do. Um, the, the circumstances on, in, the, in, in which these mediation efforts take place are almost the same. But, another, but a, a really important issue to consider, however, is that uh, most mediation efforts in Africa, uh, especially in the post-Cold War period, are conducted by um, several types of third parties cooperating. So, um, and this is what I call mixed mediation. And it turns out, when you actually take these mixed mediation efforts into account, it turns out that the most effective type of mediation in Africa are joint efforts between African actors and non-African actors, but in which the African leader takes, in, in which an African third party takes the lead, and where there's a lot of coordination. And if you look at these specific uh, types of mediation efforts, it turns out that uh, these type of mediation uh, efforts have occurred in 70, 80 uh, conflict diet years in Africa between 1960 and 2012. And of these mediation efforts, the UN was involved 50 times. So this tells you that by itself the UN is not a very effective mediator, but if they uh, cooperate with African third parties, they are really effective. 
So in order to, this is only a correlation, and actually to also show you, or to also explain why this is the case, um, I look at some peacemaking efforts in, in, in Sudan. Um, so first of all, why, my explanation of why the UN by itself is, is not very effective in mediating civil wars in Africa is actually the lack of legitimacy. And this is, um, this is controversial, uh, this is um, a bit disputed because the UN is usually perceived as having a lot of legitimacy because of its universal nature. However, I would say that in the African context, because of a really strong norm of African solutions to African conflicts, this is not the case. And if you look at the peacemaking efforts in Darfur, the, the government of Sudan actually was really opposed to um, uh, non-African mediation. For example, President al-Bashir stated that African must learn, African must, must, Africa must learn to solve their own problems before inviting outsiders. And also the foreign minister stated, we need absolute cooperation with the African Union on this issue. We are ready to address the problem within the African context. But it was not only the, the government, it was also uh, the rebel parties actually uh, that had objected non-African involvement. One of the uh, one rebels uh, stated in an interview, the UN and Western governments acted in their own colonial ways uh, by imposing their imperialistic solutions. <coughs> and it's not only related, it's also another problem, especially um, in the post-Cold War period, and especially when the IC was founded, is that um, uh, the IC is, is perceived as being connected to the UN. And this is actually also highlighted by um, mediators uh, within the United Nations. I interviewed some of them, and for example, a UN mediator, Abdul Mohammed, who was involved in the, uh, in the Darfur peace talks on behalf of the UN, uh, acknowledged that they were very suspicious from the beginning. The UN had already started this ICC process. There was a lot of emphasis on human rights violations. And the government of Sudan clearly saw the UN as an instrumental Western government to put pressure on them. Um, Valerie Sagora, uh, a UN senior political affairs officer, told me that issues of political correctness, such as human rights and crimes against humanity, were brought with such an emphasis and such persuasion that it led to a growing distrust between the government of Sudan and the international community. The government side perceived the international community to be biased on the side of the Darfurian opposition. So this really undermined uh, the legitimacy of the, of the UN in the eyes of the government. So uh, I would argue that this is the reason why the UN by itself is not a very effective actor. However, there are certain aspects um, of the UN, certain comparative advantages, um, that make them very effective when they cooperate with African third parties. One of them is providing third party security guarantees. So the deployment of peacekeeping. This is something the UN has a comparative advantage in because they have a lot of, uh, they have more capacity at least, not a lot of capacity, but more capacity than, than African third parties. Um, so Vladimir Zagora said that in the process leading up to the comprehensive peace agreement in 2005 in, in Sudan between uh, the conflict between the government of Sudan and the SPLMA, uh, these conflict parties were told you're going to make huge redeployments, create joint military units, and demobilize a large number of troops. Who is going to monitor this process? Who will be the reference uh, point if problems arise? And something will go wrong, and undoubtedly. There is no other entity in the world than the UN who can monitor this process for you. So this shows you why the involvement of the UN in this process was really uh, positive. And just to, to illustrate this further, um, this is a graph that shows you the troop deployments of different types of third parties 
um, in, in Africa, in different types of peace uh, um, support operations. And the blue line is the UN. So the UN is by far, uh, um, deploys by far the most uh, uniformed uh, personnel in Africa. Um, so this is one point aspect where the UN has a comparative advantage. But it's also, okay, it's also about logistics. The UN provided dozens of flights and millions of dollars to organize uh, the rebels to travel to Nigeria. Um, so this is another point where they have a really uh, comparative advantage. And then finally, um, the UN has also uh, a comparative advantage and coordinated diplomatic uh, pressure. Uh, to illustrate this, um, at the end of the peace process in Afasia between the SPMA and the government of Sudan, both conflict parties were really dragging their feet. They, they were really uh, hesitant to sign a peace agreement. And then the United Nations Security Council was brought to Nairobi, and there was a lot of uh, coordinated diplomatic pressure on the conflict parties to sign this. And this is also something that the UN can do really well. So in conclusion, I think that the title of, of Saudi Tefal, uh, article about the UN, um, should be why the UN is successful, it can help to mediate. Because if the UN um, supplements um, the mediation efforts of African third parties, and if they can draw on each other's comparative advantages, then this is really the best way to make peace in Africa. So there's really a need for a, a division of labor in this regard. Thank you.